Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. 1 Peter chapter 5, if you will. 1 Peter chapter 5. We have seen this passage before and, and had many references to and, and many messages on this subject, but I pray today that we can uh, have ears to hear and eyes to see, maybe even a little different twist, so to speak, on uh, this matter. In First Peter chapter 5, beginning with verse 5, it says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Everyone over 60, say amen. <laughs> yeah, amen. All the young people said, amen. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. It means to be dressed, to put on humility. For God resists the proud. You don't want to be one that God resists, right? That's intentional. I'm resisting. I'm pushing against. I'm I'm, I'm shutting that out of my life. He says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Gives grace to the humble. Verse six, therefore, humble yourselves. Who's doing the humbling? You are. You wanna humble yourself. You don't want God to humble you. No, you want to do, you wanna be in a position, I'm gonna humble myself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. He may lift you up in due time. Verse seven, we all know this verse, casting all your care upon him for what he cares for you. We can cast our cares on him. And that's usually where I get the amens and the shouts and the responses and, 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 and that sort of thing because we all know that at times we have a tendency to care about things more than we ought to. And we have a tendency to care for things that really we should be casting. And so we've seen that before. Am I caring for what I should be casting? Am I taking on a burden or a weight that I should be giving to the Lord? It's his to care about. Why? Because he cares for me. Verse eight continues and says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. It doesn't say that he is a roaring lion. It says that he roams about as or like a roaring lion. He takes on uh, this identity of trying to be, uh, trying to impose fear on us by roaring and sounding like a lion. You know, I can roar like a lion. I can bark like a dog, but it doesn't make me one. Amen. He's not a lion. He is weak. He's your adversary. He doesn't stand a chance against who you are. You know, the enemy, your adversary, the devil, he's afraid that you will ever discover who you really are. Come on now. He is, he is, oh, he is shaken in his boots, hoping you never discover what's really inside of you. 
Oh man, to the believer that discovers their potential, to the believer that understands that greater is he that's in me than he that's against me, to the believer that understands that even though the world may come against me, it will not, it will fall to my left, it can come to my right, but it will not come nigh me, he can't touch me, I'm off limits. Man, if you ever discover that, You'll never live oppressed. You'll never live under bondage. You'll never live under fear. You'll understand that you are the victor. Even though the weapon is formed against you, it shall not prosper. Because your adversary, he roams around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But it says this in verse 9, resist him. Steadfast in the faith, firm in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. There's nothing happening to you that isn't happening to someone else. There's nothing that has happened to you that hasn't happened to someone else. If it's happening to you, uh, it's coming against others. It's coming against others in, uh, on your row. It's coming to others in your home. It's coming to others in your family because the enemy is not just picking and choosing. He's coming against all of us. But it says in verse 10, but may the God of all grace who called us uh, to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus after you have suffered a while. Perfect, look at what the response should be. Look at what the, the result should be. That you be perfected, established, strengthened, and settled. I, I, I wanna write that out, put that on my mirror, put that on my wall, put that in my car. I wanna be perfect. I wanna be established. I wanna be strengthened. And I want to be settled. I don't know about you. Those sound like four words that I want to speak over my life. Four words that I want my life to represent and reflect. And, and I want that to be yielded in my life. I want to be perfected. I want to be established, strengthened, and settled. The title of my message today is Pride in Disguise. Pride in Disguise. Typically when we think of pride, and if I take you all the way back uh, there to verse Uh, Five, it says to younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. All of us should be submissive to one another. It says that we should be clothed with humility. Humility is the opposite of prideful. When we think of prideful, we think of arrogant. um, We think of egotistical. We think of someone that's conceited or thinks more highly of themselves than they ought to. Uh, When we think of pride, um, you think of someone that maybe is uh, boastful, a word that is used in the, in, in the Bible is a haughty spirit. Um, someone that, uh, you know, just uh, uh, has this, this exuberance of themselves and thinks of themselves more highly than they should. That's a prideful nature. There's things that we should have uh, pride for, you know. Uh, I hope that you tell your kids you're proud of them. I hope you are proud of the work uh, that you put in in a day. Uh, you know, I remember I had a boss, one of my first managers in one of my first jobs when, when I was young. He just said, look, this is all I want from you. At the end of the day, can you leave this place saying you're proud of your efforts today? You wanna be proud of the work you put in. I wanna know, you know what? I did the best that I could. You know, we were encouraging my son's uh, baseball team. You know, I've been talking about that a lot lately. And if you're tired of me talking about my kids, then I'm sorry, I, I love my son. I love what he's doing. I'm proud of him. And um, I'm glad that I can be involved and be a part of his life. And we just went to All Stars and got demolished. Uh, 
up in Albany. Apparently, they're coaching a whole other style of baseball than I've seen seven and eight-year-olds ever play. Apparently, I don't know what I'm doing at all compared to what they're doing. And we just got ran right off the field. And, um, but I, I told the kids at the end, you know, the thing that I was proud of was they never hung their heads. They didn't get mad at each other. They didn't complain and whine and uh, all those kind of things. They kept their heads in there. And, they, and I said, look, you gave your best effort. Your best effort compared to that, their best effort was, you know, not as great. But that's, that, that, these kids have been playing each other. They're probably born in the same hospital, you know. They've been, you know, these kids have been with each other since they were in T-ball. That, you know, the, we've got brand new kids playing brand new positions. I was just proud of their effort. You can be proud of something even though it might not have achieved or yielded the result that you wanted. But the pride that he's talking about here in this passage, Peter writing this, this book, what he's talking about is a pridefulness. Ultimately, pride, when it's talked about in this manner, is saying, my will over God's will. My will over God's will. What I want over what God wants. And many times as believers, we are met uh, with this contradiction. Uh, even Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane was met with this contradiction of what do I want versus what do you want? And anytime you choose what you want over what God wants, that's ultimately a position of pride. And, he, and so he's saying that we want to humble ourselves. We want to find ourselves in a position of humility, a position uh, where we recognize what is on our plate and what belongs to us and what is a, a, a burden that we should not be carrying, but rather casting. I find it interesting in this passage, you know, just looking at the construct of it and the way that it's put together, uh, you know, there in verse six, this is what he says. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. And I think for a, the longest time I've communicated it, read it, even preached it uh, as if there was a period there in due time, period. But there's not a comma. There is a comma there. And the comma communicates a continuation of a thought. A comma communicates that this is connected. So what comes after this is predicated on us responding to what comes before it. Because we read verse seven like it's a standalone sentence and verse all by itself. Cast your cares upon him for what he cares for you. But if we really want verse 7 to work, then we've got to do verse 6. If I want to cast my cares upon him, then I've got to humble myself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt me in due time. I need to have some humility in my life in recognizing areas where I may have been prideful, areas where I may have uh, taken on what I shouldn't have, areas where I, have made, I may have exalted my will over his will. If I want to see verse 7 work, then I've got to be in alignment with verse 6. Context is very important. Understanding what's around a certain verse. You know, a lot of times we read verse 7 like it's a command. Like God is saying, I want you to cast your cares on me because I care for you. But that's actually not the construct of the verse. It's not a command. It's a result. 
It's a result. It's a response. The command is in verse 6. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. See, we'll actually find out that casting our cares will actually be a byproduct of humbling myself under the mighty hand of God. I don't even have to be intentional with casting my cares. That will happen as a result of humbling myself. But see, the reason why we're struggling with the casting of cares, I mean, we preach this verse all the time. We read that verse all the time. We can quote it by heart. We know it's in there. Uh, You may not know passage and verse or chapter and verse, but you know that verse is in there. I got to cast my cares. You don't even have to cast your cares. The casting is merely a response to humbling yourself. And as a result, as a byproduct, I end up handing over cares that I've been keeping on too long. So it's this matter of humility that we really need to be addressing. If I don't address the humility and the pride issue, then I'll never be in a position where I can cast appropriately. I can cast my cares adequately upon the Lord. So we actually need to be looking at a different subject matter here. And that's why I said, you know, looking at anxiety and worry and concerns and cares. That's ultimately what he's talking about here. We're finding out that there's another subject matter that we really need to be addressing in our lives if we ever want to really be free of the anxiety and the concerns and the weights that we have throughout our lives. I was just talking with Matt back in the office before we came out and we were just, you know, talking through some things and talking about business stuff that, that he's got going on and, and we just ended up on this subject. And I told him, I said, it's funny, we're talking about the very thing I'm preaching about. You're giving me material right now as I'm, you know, getting ready to go out. Because uh, uh, we were talking about those opportunities when anxieties and weights and burdens and worries of just normal life, If you're alive and breathing, you have opportunity to worry. You don't have to do anything special to to worry. You don't have to do anything special. All you have to do is exist. And there's anxieties that just come with life. I mean, the only way to be free of opportunity to have anxiety and worry is to die and go ahead and go on and be with Jesus. That's the only exit plan for the opportunity for anxiety. Now it's up to us to live a worry-free life. And the Bible has much more to say about living out of worry than keeping and, and dealing with your worries. I know this, that worry will take me out much quicker than the problem actually will. Have you ever done that? Have you ever been so distraught and so worried about something that's never actually happened? It hasn't even taken place yet. I, I mean, I'm just conjuring up all the different ways this could go down. I'm just thinking, I'm formulating all these ideas and all these uh, plans and, 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 and how it's, I mean, I can picture it. I know this is what, the, I'm going to go in there and they're going to tell me this and then I'm going to have to, I mean, you can have full on conversations with yourself and the other person's not even in the room. <laughs> I know as soon as I say this, they're going to respond like this and then I'm going to have to do this. And, and are you sure about that? Much of our worry is built on assumption. Much of our our worry is built on stuff that hasn't even taken place yet. And I know that I've brought this out before, but I just think it's worth mentioning here as well. And there's probably plenty of people in this room that haven't heard this before. But worry is, is, is actually a great exercise of faith. 
I said, worry is actually a great exercise of faith. You know, if you could reverse your worry, uh, when I look at people that are very worrisome and very tense and very anxious, and always got, you know, they, 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 just as much as you can picture how it could go wrong, you have the ability to picture it going right. So since you're going to be utilizing and activating your faith uh, to go ahead and picture things that haven't even taken place yet, why don't we just go ahead and believe God at his word that he fights for us, that he goes before us, the favor of the Lord goes before me, and I just believe I'm going to have a favorable outcome in Jesus' name. I mean, while you're in the practice of, of conjuring up things that haven't even taken place yet, let's just use our faith and align it with the word of God. You know, when you worry in, in doubt and you worry in fear and you worry in anxiety, you know, you're, you're, having, you're, you're creating moments and assumptions that you don't have any grounds to really put yourself on to build yourself on. But when you build yourself in faith, you've got a word that you're coming into agreement with. You're coming into alignment with the word that's already been spoken. I mean, the doctor can say, you know, this is how long you have to live, but I've got a word that says that I will have long life, that he will surely satisfy me with long life. I got a word that says that I have a, a function and a purpose in this earth and my body needs to remain in this earth so I can fulfill what God's called me to do. I cannot leave this earth before my time. And I've got a word right here that says that all sickness and disease has already been taken care of 2,000 years ago. So I can go with a doctor's idea. I mean, even when they say that, I don't know that for sure. That's an assumption. But when I stand in faith, I'm not assuming I'm gonna be healed. I truly believe that his word will come to pass in my life. You know, we're always faced with uh, opportunities that contradict what the word of God says. And it then becomes our responsibility to stand on the word and not be moved. Which word am I going to stand on? Which word will I not be shaken by? So worry, anxiety, you know, that, that, that's really just faith in reverse. That's really just, you're, you're utilizing a God-given ability that he gave you, an imagination to be able to see into and even cause things to happen. And you're using it for the wrong, the wrong thing, the wrong outcome. But man, we could turn that around. And I can take my worry and I can say, you know what? I'm just going to believe his word's going to come to pass. I'm going to believe that, that what his word says, it will be performed in my life. Amen. He who is uh, faithful to promise, he is faithful to perform it. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18. Proverbs 16, verse 18 says this. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. You know, I can, I, I, I can know for sure that pride will never yield a desirable result in my life. It never will. Pride does not have the capacity to yield a favorable result in my life. 
And almost every time that you have a destruction or a fall or something, uh, uh, you know, has come, uh, you can, if you rewind the tape far enough back, you, you can see where pride was set in, some, some, some form of pride. But this is the thing about pride is I don't think that we always recognize how pride operates in our lives. I believe that there is a pride uh, that is obvious. There's a pride that, man, you can, they're prideful. That's, that's pride. I mean, the Bible tells us that uh, even Satan himself, before he became the adversary, before he became the devil, he was actually an angel of light. He was an angel in heaven with God. And it says that he was lifted up in pride. And what? He wanted everything and all of creation, and, and, and he wanted even God himself to bow down before him and worship him. That's pride when you exalt yourself above God. That's pride. But what if there was that what if there were opportunities where pride wasn't so obvious in our lives? What if there were opportunities where we were operating in a prideful measure or a prideful manner but didn't even know it? Didn't even easily recognize it. I don't know about you. I want to know when I'm intentionally operating in pride and even if I'm accidentally operating in pride. I want to get rid of all of it. I don't want pride. According to Proverbs 16, verse 18, the only thing that comes after pride is destruction. I don't want destruction. Therefore, I don't want pride. I don't want pride in its smallest form. I don't want pride in its greatest form. I don't want pride that I'm intentionally being prideful. I don't want pride where I'm accidentally missing it. And I believe that this passage here in 1 Peter chapter 5 shows us a connection between pride and anxiety. Going back to 1 Peter chapter 5, and again looking at verse Five, likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility because God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. Proud will never yield uh, uh, a favorable, desirable result in my life, but he tells me that humbling myself and walking in humility now provides me with grace from God. Grace from God. Now, a lot of times we think of this grace, uh, you know, as, as uh, you know, unmerited favor. Uh, grace is something that you didn't deserve, but it was given to you anyways. Um, you know, some have painted uh, grace with this picture of no matter what I do, grace covers it, grace removes it, uh, you know, so therefore... Uh, uh, in, some individuals have accepted the idea that because there's grace, I can do whatever I want. Because uh, that grace is everlasting and because of what Jesus did on the cross, now my life does not have to be fully submitted to the plan of God, but uh, you know, whatever I do is covered under grace. I know that's not anybody in this church, uh, but there is that thought process out there. No, grace is an empowerment. Grace is not just a covering or removal of sin, but it's actually an empowerment to live above sin. The grace comes to the humble. I need grace. Now, the only reason you need grace is if you have an assignment. 
The only reason you need grace, the only reason you need empowerment is if you need something or if you have something to do. If you don't have anything to do in this earth and you're just here waiting for Jesus to come, then guess what? You don't need grace. You don't need to be empowered to do anything. But I'm here to tell you today that every single person on the face of this planet, anyone that's got breath in their lungs, has an assignment, has a purpose, has a destiny, has potential, has something to do for the kingdom of God. And the only way you will accomplish what God has for you is by his grace. That's the only way. The opposite of operating in grace is operating on your own ability. If grace is operating in God's ability, then the opposite of grace would be doing it on my own. Doing it on my own. So I ask you today, for the assignment that God's called you to do, do you want to do it on your own or do you want to do it with God's ability? I would believe everyone in this place would answer, I need God's ability. I think we've all probably at some point in our lives tried to do it on our own. Tried to figure it out on our own. How far did that get you? I'm sure we could fill this stage and have testimony service after testimony service. Well, I try to do it on my own, but thank God for his grace. I try to make that marriage work, but thank God for his grace. I try to keep that business going, but thank God for his grace. I try to believe in my kids, but thank God for his grace. I try to get myself healed, but I thank God for his grace. Because God's grace empowers you to whatever he's called you to do. There's nothing on this planet that's too hard for God. So you need his grace. You need his ability. But it says that the grace comes to the humble. So guess what? If I'm living in pride, I cut myself off from God's provision. I actually limit God being able to work in my life. Living in a, a state of pride, living in a position of pride, living uh, in, in this position where I exalt my will, my ability, my plan, my agenda above his. So guess what he says? Then you don't need my grace. No, grace comes to the humble. He says, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. The mighty hand of God does three things. The mighty hand of God does three things. Number one, the mighty hand of God is the plan of God. It's the plan of God. And the Bible tells us that many are the plans in a man's heart. Many are the plans in a man's heart. Meaning, we always can run the risk of doing our thing against God's thing. Look, we're made in his image. We're made in his likeness. If God is the planner, guess what? So are you. If God has the ability to plan things out, and we know that Jeremiah 29, 11, we all know the verse, for great are the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Thank God that he planned your life. You know, God did not just plan your entrance into this life. He planned your existence in this life. God didn't just plan you coming into this thing. He's got every step of the righteous ordered of the Lord. Every step. There's not one step you'll ever take in life that will surprise him. There's not one step in life that'd be like, well, I had you up to this point, but this one you're on your own. 
There's never a time. There's never a, a, a day in your life, a moment in your life that he does not know what comes next. He's planned it out. He's a planner. So the mighty hand of God, I got to do what? I've got to humble myself or submit myself to the plan of God, to his purpose. I cannot have God's power on my purpose. I cannot have God's power on my purpose. So many times we come up with the plan and then we want God's blessing on our plan. All right, God, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to do this, and then in five years, we're going to go here, uh, and, and, and then uh, this is when this is. How many of you have ever tried uh, to, to plan your life, uh, uh, you know, to, to, to try to put your own agenda out there and see if God will put his hand on it? It doesn't work. I'm just going to tell you right now, for those of you that maybe haven't tried that, don't try it. It doesn't work. You won't get the desired outcome. No, the best thing you can do is say, God, what is your plan for my life? What's your purpose for my life? What direction do I need to be in? What step do I need to take? And he will order the steps, direct the steps. He will lead you and guide you by his spirit. So if I'm gonna submit myself to that mighty hand of God, I need to submit myself to his plan. Number two, the mighty hand of God is the provision of God the provision of God. Look, if you're gonna follow God's plan, then guess what? You're gonna need his provision every time. Every time. And the fact that it's his provision means that he knows how to get it to you. One of the greatest ways that I see uh, worry overcome people's life is in a provisional position having enough to accomplish what you feel you need to do, whether it's money, whether it's relationships, whether it's time, whether it's strength, whatever you think you need, guess what? If God called you to it, then he will provide it for you, whatever is needed to accomplish what he's called you to do. God does not call you to accomplish something and then limit the resource or the provision to your own ability to make it happen. You need supernatural ability and you need God's provisional ability in your life. You need the mighty hand of God. So I've got to submit myself to the plan of God. I've got to submit myself to his provision. He will provide. He will come through. And the third way that we see the hand of God uh, operate in our lives, humbling ourselves to the mighty hand of God, number one is the plan of God, number two is the provision of God, number three is the protection. The mighty hand of God protects us, keeps us safe from harm. So guess what? The moment you step out and say, I'm gonna obey God, I'm gonna follow the plan of God, guess what? There's somebody that's not excited that you just took on that commitment. There's somebody, an adversary, an enemy that will all of a sudden show up and guess what? You never saw him working in your life before, but now all of a sudden you commit your life to him. He says, oh, wait, what? What did I hear? Oh, you're gonna follow God, huh? You're gonna submit yourself to, to the mighty hand of God. 
Okay, we'll see about that. And then all of a sudden obstacles show up and opposition arises and challenges. And and, and then we start having this thought, I was better off when I wasn't following God. Well, no, you weren't because of the end result. See, that's the thing is is we think that the easy road gets us where we want to be. No, it's the hard road that gets you where you want to be. Wide is the road that many people take, but narrow is the way. And it's got all kinds of challenges and there's things along the way, but that's because you just woke up a beast. You just woke up someone that is against the plan of God in your life and against you fulfilling it. And he's going to do whatever it takes to try to stop you. If you're not being faced with challenges in life, might be an indicator you're not doing what God's called you to do. If the enemy's not disrupted by you in your existence, then maybe you're not disrupting him. Maybe it's an indicator that you're not a threat. But man, the, 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 the second that you choose to follow the will of God, the second you choose to follow the plan of God, but then as a result, all three of these areas, the plan, the provision, and the protection, these are the areas we become the most concerned about. All of a sudden, worry shows up and anxiety shows up. And Jesus talked about that in Matthew chapter six. He said repeatedly, do not worry. Do not worry about what you're gonna eat or what you're gonna drink. Don't worry about where you're gonna live. Don't worry about, you know, if we can clothe the, the, the lilies of the field, uh, if the birds uh, aren't concerned about breakfast and dinner, why should you? Don't you know that I care far more about you than I do about the grass and the birds? He said, do not worry. Then he goes on to say in verse 33 of Matthew chapter six, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness that all these things will be added unto you. What's he saying? Put down your plan and take up mine. Seek my way. Seek my plan. See, I always have the risk, I'll always run the risk of getting into pride when I start seeking my way over God's way. This is where pride shows up is when I start becoming self-righteous and I start becoming more motivated by my ability to accomplish something than God's ability working through me. This is what happened with the Pharisees, the, the religious leaders. And so now Jesus, the son of God, God in the flesh shows up, but yet they exalt their way over Jesus's way. And Jesus is constantly making statements to get them to to try to help them see your way isn't any good if it doesn't follow my way. Your plan doesn't work if it's not in alignment with my plan. And now you've even taken Old Testament scripture. You've even taken laws and things that I put into place to try to help yourselves be better rather than recognizing you're in need of a savior. The one that will help you get through is standing right in front of you, but yet you're resisting it. You're rejecting it. He goes on to say here, humbling yourselves under the mighty hand of God, the plan of God, the provision of God, the protection of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care, casting all your care upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. He's talking about that mighty hand. You know, sometimes our problems are just in the wrong hands. It needs to change hands. 
It needs to be put in someone else's hand. It needs to be put in God's hand. But this is the thing. Prideful people, when we're operating in pride, we won't take it out of our hand. We won't cast it. We won't give it. We keep it. That's, that's one of the indicators of pride is, is what we won't let go of. What we remain, what, 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 what we keep secure in our hand. I know this, my hand is not as mighty as God's hand. Do you remember what happened when they took uh, that, that little lunchable from that kid when, when Peter uh, you know, the disciples came up, they're all, you know, got the 5,000 plus people out in the field. And, uh, you know, one responsible child uh, actually had lunch. His mother must have packed him lunch, probably like Camden, you know, but doesn't eat half of it. It's probably what happened. These were the leftovers. I don't like the bread and I don't like the fish. So he probably ate all the, you know, the gummies and uh, the Oreo cookies. And Peter's like, this is all you got, bread and fish. Where's the good stuff? But they bring it to Jesus, and what happens? He blesses it, and it multiplies. It's amazing what happens when you will take a problem, a situation, a challenge, and put it in God's hand. Because it can do far more in God's hand than it can in your hand. It can do, it can become something that will not just feed you, but feed all those around you. My God is a God of more than enough. My God is more than able. My God is exceedingly abundantly. God is not a God that says, well, here, let me just give you enough to, will this get you by till next Friday? God, that's not how God works. God will take care of you in a way that it will be beyond doubt, beyond question, who made it come to pass in your life? That's the way God operates. But the problem is, is we've got things in our hand rather than casting it and putting it in his hand. And it's because of this issue of anxiety. It's because of this issue of pride. And in verse eight, he goes on to say, be sober. That word be sober means to be self-controlled. It means to be self-controlled. These are, these are the instructions now. Be self-controlled. Be vigilant. Be vigilant means to be alert. It means to be watchful. It's actually found in other, uh, the same Greek word and the Greek construct there is actually found in other places in the New Testament and it's used uh, for the uh, example of being prayerful. Be vigilant. Be watchful. Be allergic. Operate with self-control. It's funny that the Peter is the one that is writing this because Peter is the one that Jesus had to come to two times in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was laying down his will and taking up uh, the Father's will right before he goes to the cross. And Peter did what? Fell asleep. Jesus said, stay here, wait here, pray with me, be watchful. In both times, Jesus goes off, comes back. What's Peter doing? Sleeping. So if anybody knows the importance of the value of being watchful and being alert, it's this man, it's Peter. 
Because he knows I need to keep myself in a position of alertness. I need to keep myself in a position of being watchful and even prayerful in these moments. Why? Because there is a devil that walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But the instruction is to resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. So let's get back to this issue of anxiety. In verse seven, it says to cast your cares upon him. He doesn't say that you won't have cares and he does not say that he'll remove the cares. He says that it's on you to cast them. It's on you to let them go. It's on you to hand them over. But handling over our cares begins begins with handing over my will. Handing over my cares begins with, hand, with handing over my will. And so this is the problem, is we're trying to cast cares, but we want to keep our will. We're trying to cast cares, but keep our will. We want to keep our agenda intact, we want to keep our plan in motion. But then when struggles and challenges show up, those I want God to take my cares, but I want to keep my will. I want to keep my plan. I want to keep my idea. I'm telling you right now, it doesn't work that way. We cannot cast cares and keep our will. We cannot cast off to God what's too big for us, what we think we can no longer handle, but hold on to the directives and the ideas and the, and the agendas and our plans. No, that's, he's saying, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that, me, that he will exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. You know, a lot of our anxiety and a lot of our uh, uh, worry is actually a form of pride. It's actually one and the same. In fact, I put the two words up there. If, if Andre can throw up the word pride, well, you, you, you just jumped the gun. We got all the way to the end, so we'll just leave that one up there. That works. But you see what pride, oh, there it is, pride. You already know what's coming. That's all right. Pride, and throw up the next word, anxiety. Go ahead. Nope, not that one, the next one. And there it is, pride, anxiety. They're both built in what? They're both rooted in I. What do I get out of it? It's, it's, it's internally focused. It's this idea on the inside. It's this idea that I've got to make it happen. I've got to accomplish it. I was just talking with Matt about a challenge, uh, you know, that he was facing a couple years ago. And, um, you know, his wonderful wife, Jerry Ann, uh, who always keeps him straight, uh, you know, his better half, uh, uh, you know, he's going through this challenge at work and, and Jerry Ann comes in uh, one day and gets the kids together and just throws on a worship song, a praise song. It says, we're just gonna praise and worship God. And I said, yeah, How'd that make you feel? 
He said, well, yeah, I was, at, I was mad on the inside. On the inside, I was like, I was irritated. I don't feel like worshiping. I don't feel like praising. You know, it, it, it's the things that you need to do that you feel the least de- desirable to do in the moment. Like when you, look, it's, it's easy to come in here when our worship team's doing what they're doing and man, we're singing these songs and, you know, do it again. And, uh, you know, he's the God of the promise. And, you know, I know, uh, you know, you know, whatever we were just singing won't stop now. Uh, you know, I can't even think of it right now. All these words, all these songs, they're easy in here, but then you get out there and you're facing the child. The last thing you want to do is sing. The last thing you want to do is raise your hands. No, no, no. I want to talk about people. Can we just be honest and transparent? I want to complain a little bit. You know? I want to talk about how they're worse off than I am. <laughs> At least I was in church this weekend. They need to go to, they need to, go to church and hear Pastor Mark. Yeah, this is what we do. It doesn't work. We don't get the answer. Sure, you might feel a little bit better in the moment, but you don't get your answer. You don't come out of the challenge. There's a little bit of pride in there. You know, one of the worst things about pride is it's very hard to recognize in and of ourselves. Right? I mean, if I come to you and say, I'm sensing there's some pride here. There's no pride. I'm not a prideful person. I'm humble. I, you can't, why are you calling me prideful? Right? That's the problem with pride is you don't know you're in pride. It's like deception. Deceived people are the last people to recognize that they're deceived. Everybody else can see it, but you're the last one. I'm not deceived. You're deceived in saying that you're not deceived. <laughs> the deception is that you believe you're not deceived. No, we're all susceptible to deception. We're all susceptible to pride. And we need to be in a position where I humble myself. Notice that that it's our responsibility. It's my responsibility to humble myself. It's my responsibility to take on the position that says, I can't do this. Not on my own. I need God's grace. I need God's ability. I need God's empowerment in my life. But that only comes to the humble. That only comes to those who will operate in humility. You know, one of the greatest contradictions and one of the greatest confusions, I believe, that the church has bought into is that humility is uh, aligned with weakness. That humility says, I'm nothing, God. Oh, I, I can't do it. You know, there, there's a lot of lies that the church has bought into because they've been perverted and they've been twisted. They, they've allowed a little bit of, of what is not of God into it. It is an insult to God, to his character and to his integrity to reduce yourself to less than what he's called you to be. It's not humility to say, oh, I, I, I could never do that. I'm just a sorry sinner. You know, I, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm gl- God, I'm just even glad that you just even put me in this earth. You know, I, you know what, whatever your will is. You know, if we don't claim what God has already claimed and what God has already declared over us, that is actually a form of pride. 
It's a form of exalting your idea over his. If God says you can, if God says you are, if God says you will, if God says it will take place, it will, then who are we to exalt our idea against his, above his and say, no, no, not, not me, God. I mean, you go back to Moses when Moses was having this little conversation when God was trying to get him to rise up and become the leader that would go into Egypt and and pull the Egyptians out, deliver the Egyptians out. And eventually, you know, Moses is kind of pushing off. No, you know, how could I do this? I'm a murderer. How could I do this? I can't even talk right. Had all these excuses, all these reasons why he couldn't do what God was calling him to do. And it actually says that God's anger was starting to get hot against Moses. He's getting angry with Moses because he's telling Moses, I'm going with you. I'm going before you. I've called you. I'm leading you. You're just going to be my vessel and this is what I'm going to work through. And Moses keeps pushing back. No, I can't. I can't do that. I can't do this. And eventually God's getting a little irritated because it's actually a form of pride to continue to reduce yourself. Look, I know that at times we can all limit ourselves to our natural abilities, but you've got to remember, you've got a new creation living inside of you. Your spirit man's been made alive. Quit identifying with your past. Quit identifying with your failures. Quit identifying with your present nature. Quit identifying with the sinful man on the outside. Crucify him, put him on the cross, rise up to the new life that God has called you to live. And then you will accomplish what he's calling you to do. It's actually one of the greatest sins that we commit. It's one of the sins actually that the church tolerates is a confused idea of what humility looks like. It's not humility to continue to resist what God's called you to do. That's not humility. Humility to God is not weakness. It's funny because Moses ends up writing the first five books of the Bible. And in Numbers, he makes the statement. He writes himself that Moses was the most humble man of all. Now, if I got up there and if I got up here and said today, I am the most humble person you will ever see. You have a problem with that. But yet the Lord wrote, the Lord worked through Moses to have that written because Moses learned what true humility was. True humility is not reducing myself and my my ideas and, and my agendas below what God has said. See, there's this balance. I can't elevate my idea greater than what God is. But it's also just as dangerous to reduce my idea below what he's called me to do. What he's called me to do. No, I've got to rise up to what he says. I simply have to be in alignment. Worship team, if you come, I can be off to the left. I can be off to the right. No, I want to be in alignment with God's word. I want to be in alignment with what he says. I want to be in alignment. 
God, if you called me to it, then you can do it. I don't know how. See, a lot of times we're asking the wrong question. We're asking the wrong questions. We're asking, how's it gonna happen? When's it gonna happen? What is it gonna be? And God just wants us to obey. And this pride issue, it it, it comes up. It's just as prideful to not align, not elevate what God has called me to do to his ability. No, I need, I need his provision. I need his plan. I need his protection in my life. I need to submit myself under the mighty hand of God. And then through that, I will accomplish all that he's called me to do. So I just want us to take a moment right here to cast off the anxiety and cast off the worry. Cast off the thought that you can't. Cast off the thought that you won't. Cast off the thought that 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 what God has called me to do is too great. I, I, I can't accomplish it on my own. Let me tell you this real quick, real quick. Almost three years ago, this is almost two years ago, 2016, um, we had just celebrated five years as a church. Five years. And we had a big five-year anniversary celebration over at our old location. And, you know, we had worked hard just to get to that point in five years. We had worked hard just to get to where we were. And, you know, as a leader, and I I know there's leaders and there's businessmen in here, and, 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 and it works in many different capacities of life. But as a leader, you know, you kind of feel the weight a little different than everybody else. And it was five years. And and many people had been with us through the entire five years and seen all that we had worked through, seen what we started with and what God had accomplished in those five years. And it was great. It was mighty. It was awesome. We had uh, uh, four, three or four nights of services and our worship team from St. Augustine came up and helped us celebrate and had different ministers in. Pastor Earl and Marcy were in and Pastor Daryl and Bonnie Huffman were in and, and just had this big celebration. But on the inside, I wasn't celebrating. Everybody else is, you know, eating cupcakes and blowing up balloons and high-fiving each other and look what look what's happened, look what we've done. And on the inside, I'm like, this is horrible. Because as a leader, you don't just look at what you've accomplished. You're always looking at where you're going. And I'm not telling you this to feel sorry for me by any means. I don't need letters or emails. I don't need anything like that. We're, we're, we're doing great. We're continuing on. We're driving on. But in that moment, it was October of 2016. And I remember October, November, and December were some of the lowest months of my life. Because I began to think and I began to have this idea of, How am I going to get it to the next level? How am I going to get it beyond where we're at today? How am I? And you can ask my wife those months. I mean, I was in the bottom. And 
and she's like, what's the problem? We're celebrating. We should be excited. Look at, look at what's happened. Look at what we've accomplished. And I know on the inside, I'm not satisfied. I, I know this isn't the end. I know we're just getting started, but I have no idea where to go from here. I mean, I even had to take a few days uh, in, in the beginning of December and drive off to some random town. I didn't even know where I was going. I literally got out of town, got away, wasn't running away. I was running to God. I said, you're going to have to show me something. You're going to have to show me how we're getting where we're going. And I thought the problem was everything around me. But I quickly found out that the problem was in me. The problem was my ability that I thought somehow I got the church to that point. So then it was on me to get the church to the next point. And I got quickly corrected and quickly aligned that it's God's church. It's his house. I'm here as a shepherd. I'm here as an overseer. I'm here as a pastor. I'm here as a leader to hear the voice of God and to be sensitive to the spirit and to sense the, direct, the direction of where the church will continue to go and how the church will continue to grow. I'm not in the center. See, pride puts I at the center. Anxiety puts I at the center. And I quickly found out I'm not at the center of this thing. God has not called you to anything that he has not planned for you, that he has not provided for you, and that he will not protect for you. So unless you are willing to submit yourself under the mighty hand of God, unless you're willing to humble yourself to his plan, his provision, and his protection, then you won't be able to see him work on your behalf. I remember driving thinking, I'm casting my cares, I'm casting my cares, I'm casting my cares. And I found out I didn't have a casting problem. I didn't have a caring problem. I had a humility problem. It wasn't mine in the first place. It wasn't mine in the first place. The weight and the burden and the pressure that I was feeling and that I had over me, it wasn't mine in the first place. It was His. I had to get back under His hand. Because I've been having, the, I was having those conversations. I'm not the person for this. I can't do this. Why did He call me up here? Why did he do this? Why did he do that? Had all those thoughts, all those internal conversations, just like I know you have. And I had to remind myself that it's not humility to reduce what he's called me to. But it's pride to not live up to the standard that he had for me. It's prideful to not rise to the challenge telling you today, if you're going through it, if you're in the midst of it, the best thing you can do is rise to the challenge and say, God, you chose me for this. You handpicked me for this. You wouldn't have called me to it if you didn't see me, if you didn't see it inside of me, the ability. What are you trying to teach me? Where are you trying to grow me? What are you trying to show me? 
what's on the inside. It's what's on the inside. Maybe he's not working on what's on the outside. Maybe he's trying to work on what's on the inside. Maybe the challenges we're facing is because we are pushing back on his growth and his development of what he's really trying to do on the inside of us. So I just want us to take a moment right now, internally reflect. Ask the Lord, Father, where, where am I missing it? What, what, what are you trying to do in me? What, is, what are you trying to work inside of me in the midst of this challenge? Come on, you can talk to him right now. You can conversate with him. You can, you can have a conversation. God, show me who I really am. Show me what you put inside of me. Help me submit to your plan, to your provision, to your protection, to your purpose, to your agenda. Father, we cannot do it on our own. But if you called us to it, then you will work it in us. You'll develop us. Humble ourselves. We humble ourselves. We humble ourselves. So that we can cast our cares. We can resist the enemy, the adversary, when he comes against us like a roaring lion. We can resist him, throw him off. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithvaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church Podcast.